promise I'm not going to preach long. We have lots of extra things today. I'm going to get you out of here in good time. So we have been in a series here at Homestead over the last few weeks on integrity. We've been talking about what is integrity. What does it mean to live a life full of integrity? And our theme verse has been Proverbs 11.3, which says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. We talked about what does integrity mean, and Jeff, the first week, used the analogy of a bridge or a building. If the foundation is shaky, if some parts of it are not working, you would say that the integrity of that bridge is compromised. The integrity of that building is compromised, and it means that because of the weak places, it's not able to bear the weight that it should be bearing. It means that all the inside pieces have to be steady and reliable so that the whole thing can stay strong. And Jeff said the first week, integrity will allow you to handle the pressure load you were meant to have. We've been talking about what does it mean to have all the little pieces of our life, the way we act, our honor, our character, all be strong so that our lives are able to bear all the weight, all the things that we have to do. And we've talked a lot about people in scripture who walked in integrity, and it allowed them to remain steady even in difficult circumstances. We talked about Daniel, who chose to honor God in the little things, so he was ready to honor God when it was a big decision and he was facing the den of lions. He had already been practicing integrity in his life. Then we talked about Esau, who allowed his appetites to override his integrity, and he traded his whole future for what he wanted in an instant moment. And then we talked about Abigail, who allowed God to lead her into a messy grace situation where culture and societal expectations could have led her in multiple directions, but she had the courage to speak up and to advocate for her entire household. And today I want to look at a couple more characters in scripture who can show us another key piece of operating with integrity. And I want us to ask ourselves this question today. I'm going to ask you now, and then I'm going to ask you this at the end. Are you ready? How do you respond when you are wrong? <laughs> I already know the answer to that for you. <laughs> Actually, he does way better than me. <laughs> I have a harder time admitting that. As much as we are all doing our best to live lives of integrity and honor God with our words and actions, let me tell you, the moment's going to come when you blow it, right? Would we all agree? It's not a matter of our, if you ever blow it, of just rather when you blow it, right? You will do something that you shouldn't have done. You will say something you shouldn't have said. You will lose your cool. You will let someone down. The reality is that even the most integrous person is going to blow it. You're going to have moments where you make a mistake. But the real marker of whether or not integrity is the solid foundation of your life is what you do in that moment when you blow it. So today we're going to look at two men in scripture. We're going to look at King Saul and we're going to look at King David. We're going to look at two stories, two stories where each of them blow it big time, make mistakes. Each of them are then confronted about their sinful behavior, but they have completely different responses. And we'll see that their responses is what made all the difference in their lives. So let's look at these two stories. First, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now the heading in my Bible on 1 Samuel 15 says, the Lord rejects Saul as king. 
This is the moment where Saul loses the right to continue his line being the king. Up until that point, Saul was the king. The plan was his children would be king and then they would be king. And this is the story. This is the time where that all changes and Saul loses the right to have his line become the king. Now, he has just gone out to fight the Amalekites. God gave Saul very specific instructions to completely wipe out the Amalekites. He was supposed to destroy everything, not to leave anything left alive, the property, the soldiers, the animals, and the king. Now, we can see that Saul disobeyed God and did not follow those instructions. So look at verse 7. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats and cattle and fat calves and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was of worthless and poor quality. So Saul partially obeys the Lord's instructions. He destroys some things. He kills some people, but he kept what he wanted. He destroyed the worthless stuff, and he kept the good stuff for himself and his men. So God gets the Samuel prophet to get up and to go and confront Saul. Now, we're going to read what we say here, but I want you to note in particular Saul's response to being confronted. Verse 13, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him and cheer, uh, cheerfully, may the Lord bless you, he said, I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and lowing of cattle, I hear, Samuel demanded. Isn't that funny? Have you ever had your kids like, you're like, um, did you put marker all over your face? And they're like, no, I didn't. And I'm like, there's marker all over your face, right? It's kind of that moment. So I was like, greetings. I honor the Lord. And Samuel's like, um, I can hear the goats. Like, I can hear them. I know you didn't destroy everything. It's kind of funny. Then what is all that bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear, Samuel demanded? Well, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle to plunder and to sacrifice to the Lord, to the God. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices? or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. This is a bad deal. 
This is the moment Saul loses everything. From this moment on, Saul's line will not inherit the throne, but God decides to find another to be king and for his line and his children to continue. This is a turning point in Saul's life. Now I want you to turn to the next chapter, sec, or, uh, next book, 2 Samuel chapter 11, where we see king, uh, another king having another moment where he messes up. This one is King David. And many of you are familiar with this story, but this is the story of David's big mistake. Now it says that David was walking along the palace roof one day, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing on the roof. So he sends out someone to find more about her and discovers that her name is Bathsheba, and she is married to one of his soldiers who's out on the field. Now David knows this. He has this information in hand that this is a married woman, but he sends for her anyway, and then he sleeps with her. Then she sends word and finds out, and David finds out that she is pregnant. So he figures he better try and cover this up quickly. So he sends for her husband, Uriah, back from the battlefield and tells him, hey, why don't you go home and just see your wife tonight? But Uriah refuses, saying, if my men back on the battlefield can't be home with their wives, then neither will I. And so he slept outside of David's castle. So David realized that this plan is not working. So he has Uriah sent back on the field, put into the most dangerous position with the orders to make sure that he was killed. So Uriah is sent to the front lines. He's killed in action. And David brings Bathsheba into his wife, into his home as his wife to cover the whole thing up. Now in chapter 12, we see the same thing happen. The Lord tells the prophet to go and confront King David. And David, uh, Nathan comes to talk to David and he tells him this parable about a rich man who had lots and lots of sheep and lots and lots of cattle and owned so much stuff. And yet there was a poor man who only had one sheep that he loved very much. And that the rich man came and took the poor man's sheep, even though he had so much. And David is incensed by this story. And then Nathan stops and says, David, you are that man. You took something that didn't belong to you. Look at verse 7. Then uh, Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. We see David's response now in verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. Full stop. I have sinned against the Lord. Now I want to compare these two stories for a minute. I want to look at these two men. I want to look at these two mistakes. Which one seems worse? Which mistake seems like a bigger deal? Which, yeah, which one seems worse? Who should have been given a second chance? Who should have been allowed to keep moving forward? When you look at it that way, why was one forgiven and restored and one removed and rejected? 
What was the difference maker between these two men who both failed and dishonored the Lord? The difference between these two situations is one thing, their response. Their response. When confronted with their sin, they had very different responses. And I believe this is what made all the difference. One immediately recognized his sin and was grieved at what he had done. The other took convincing. One immediately was repentant and mortified. The other did not repent. One took responsibility. One tried to justify his actions. One got it. One didn't get it. I want to actually look and go through a couple of verses. You can put that slide up and compare their responses. In 1 Samuel 15, look at Saul's response. Starting in verse 13, he says, I have carried out the Lord's command. That's how he greets Samuel. It's kind of like he's trying to like, do, 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 don't look over there, right? He's trying to like preemptively mislead. He's trying to make it look like he's done what he shouldn't. He was from the get-go trying to be misleading. We also see Saul's response in verse 15. When confronted, he said, well, it's true. I spared the best, but I was planning on sacrificing them to the Lord. So he's justifying his actions. He knows it's wrong, but he's trying to justify in my mind, I figured that this would probably be a better plan. I know that's what God had said, but I think that this way is better. So he's justifying his actions. Then in verse 20, Samuel asks him, why didn't you obey the Lord? And Saul says, but I did obey the Lord. Like he's trying to rationalize his behavior. Well, I did. I mean, I did what he told me to do. I mean, he didn't do all of it, but he still is trying to rationalize his choices. Verse 24, he says, I have disobeyed because I was afraid of the people and what they demanded. So at this point, he's finally like realizing, yeah, I've made a mistake, but it was their fault. The, I was afraid of what the people were going to say. My men wanted to keep the sheep, and so I felt like I should do it. So he starts casting blame on others. Yes, I made a mistake, but it was because they made me do it, right? And then in verse 30, then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I've sinned, but please come back with me. At least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. He tries to get Samuel to just come back in front of the people and like have this ceremony so that it looks like everything's fine. He's trying to save his reputation. He's trying to just cover up everything instead of taking responsibility. So those are all of Saul's responses, but look at David. I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. There's something so powerful about these two responses. These responses exposed the condition of their hearts. Saul never once says, I've sinned against the Lord. Saul never once says, oh, I really want to please God with my life, but I just messed this one up. He just continually spins and spins and spins. And when confronted with how he fell short, he just wanted to make the circumstances around him look better. But David had a heart that desperately wanted to please God. And he had massively screwed up. And when confronted with his behavior, his heart was grieved. You ever had that moment where all of a sudden you're in something and all of a sudden you're like, whoa. It's like the blinders fall off and you're like, how did I get here? What just happened? And this is the moment that when David has that moment of clarity, he just stops and immediately his heart is grieved and he repents. 
Saul tried to rationalize and justify and minimize, but David just repented. So I'm going to spend the last few minutes that we're together looking at Psalm 51. Now, years ago, I got a chronological Bible. It's one of the best things I ever got because it takes all of the books of the Bible and it puts them in the order that they happened. And not only that, it will take like a psalm and put it right where it was in the story when someone wrote it. So a lot of the psalms were written by David. And Psalm 51 comes in my chronological Bible right after this conversation with Nathan. So this is the moment that David has been confronted, has recognized his sin. So you can imagine he has this moment with the prophet Nathan, and then he goes back and he starts writing out the song, processing what has just happened. That is what Psalm 51 is. It's David's lament following this failure. So here are three lessons that we can learn from David's response. Number one, David accepted responsibility. Psalm 51 verses 1 through 4 says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. He doesn't try to spin it or justify it. He just says, I messed this up. And whatever you're going to dish out, Lord, right now, I deserve it. I've sinned. I was wrong. Against you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil. Whatever you have for me, Lord, I have earned it. Now, integrity is something that's important inside. But you know what? Integrity gets walked out also in our lives and how we respond and practice this with others. We're all pretty good at spinning our behaviors, aren't we? I mean, I may have gotten a little, a little lippy with Pastor Jeff this weekend, and then later I was like, I'm sorry, I think I was hungry. I think I was really, I think I needed a snack. I'm not sure why I thought you were so annoying, but sorry about that. I'm sure that's never happened to anybody else in this room right? We're really good at like, well, I mean, yes, but this happened, right? We're all really good at spinning our behaviors. We're all pretty good at rationalizing mistakes, especially when it comes to other people. Well, they started it. We're a lot more like Saul. Well, they told me to. They started it. They responded that way. I was just defending myself. I was just coming back, right? Or, or this one, well, I'm right. Therefore, it doesn't matter how I communicated because I was right, right? And so sometimes we are really good at spinning our own behaviors. But listen, this is what we can learn. When you are wrong, just accept responsibility and apologize. It's really hard. I know some of you are like, oh, man, that gets really rough. Like the words get stuck like right there, right? Apologize when you do something wrong. Say that you're sorry. I remember a number of years ago, the Lord was just really convicting me about making sure that I was not gossiping. And it was a season of my life, and I was talking to a lot of friends, and there were a lot of situations going on, and everybody was kind of like, hey, have you heard anything? You know, it was one of those things where it just felt like there was just a lot of chatter. And so one day the Lord just really convicted me. I need you to be very mindful to not gossip and to keep, keep yourself from speaking things that you shouldn't be speaking. 
And I felt the Lord convict me and say, and so if you, if you gossip, I want you to go back and apologize and admit it. I was like, okay, I can do that. So I was talking to a friend later, and they were like, hey, have you heard anything? And I was like, mm, well, just this. And I gave like a little, like little update, just a little one. And then I hung up, and I was like, ooh, I did it. So I had to pick up the phone again. Hi, it's me again. So I really shouldn't have shared that information. The Lord has been convicting me of that. I wanted to apologize. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And they were like, okay, bye. <laughs> that was horrible. I think I had to call back twice. And then I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to stop myself beforehand, right? Because there's something about having to apologize that can help us move past some of those behaviors that keep tripping you up. Let me tell you, when you start owning your behavior, when you start taking responsibility for the things you're doing, and when you have to go make it right, sometimes that is a really big indicator to help you stop, start changing some of those behaviors. Whether that's accountability and like, hey, if I mess this up, I'm going to have to go tell that person. I'm going to have to tell somebody that I did that. Sometimes accountability and taking responsibility is a big part of healing. Accept responsibility. Say, I'm sorry that my actions hurt you. Maybe you didn't even intend to hurt someone, but you can still hurt people even though you don't mean to. Take responsibility. So that's the first thing we learn from David. The second thing we learn is David had a humble spirit. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. God doesn't respond to pride and excuses, but he does respond to a repentant and contrite heart. It takes humility to admit you're wrong, right? It takes humility to be able to say, I shouldn't have done that. I made a mistake. It takes humility to not justify our actions and to not rationalize our behaviors. Humility is more concerned with doing the right thing than saving face. We do not see David accepting responsibility and then trying to spin the story and trying to contain everything. We see David immediately just falling on his face before God. He doesn't ask to get out of the consequences. He doesn't ask for Nathan to somehow hide it and keep it quiet. He shows humility in recognizing that he has sinned against the Lord. And Lord, whatever punishment you have for me, I know I deserve it. So we can learn to accept responsibility. We can respond with humility. And lastly, we can receive forgiveness and move forward. Look at verse 7. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. I love this because David recognizes that if God would forgive him, then he would be forgiven. If God purified him, then he would be clean. That God could and would give him a clean heart and a new beginning. This says more to me about David's heart than every, anything else. He said that, God, if you say I'm forgiven, then I'm going to believe it. 
Now David screwed up. He accepted his punishment and he moved on. But you know what? For a lot of us, we tend to stay in this moment, don't we? We have made a mistake and so we think, well, that's it. I've just blown it. We keep rehashing over and over again the things that we have done wrong. And let me tell you, the enemy is more than happy to partner with you in that, to keep bringing up the mistakes, the places that you have failed. And yet what I love about what David says is, if you forgive me, God, then I know it's done. It's taken care of. If you wash me, then I will be clean. I don't need to keep living this over and over again. A lot of us... We make mistakes, and then from that moment on, we keep beating ourselves up. We keep thinking God can't use us, and we start to define ourselves by that one moment in our life. We think, well, I might be this and this and this, but you know what? I come back, always come back to this moment. And we let it become part of our identity and part of who we think we are. And yet what I love about David is David said, if you make me clean, I'll be clean. And what do we know in Scripture about David? At the end of his life, it wasn't like, oh, remember all the horrible things that David did? We know David is a man after God's own heart. Because in the moment, he repented, he confessed, and then he received that forgiveness. He didn't let it allow him to get stuck in that one moment for the rest of his life. I really believe that our decision to say, stay sitting in our sin somehow reveals a lack of belief that God is able to wash us clean from our guilt. The Bible is very clear. If we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, that sacrifice he made on the cross is enough. It's enough for that. It covers us. It makes us right before God. And if we accept the forgiveness of God, we are made a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. David talks about having joy again, about singing again, about being in right standing with God. And then the very next chapter, we see his life just keep moving forward. Now, yes, he had to deal with the consequences of this decision. The son that Bathsheba bore died. He faced conflict and strife within his home because of this decision. But David also lived in the favor and the love of God. And you and I know him. These were two people who both made mistakes. One took responsibility and was able to move on. One made excuses and his history was changed forever. The difference was the condition of their hearts. One wanted to please God and one was concerned about himself. So the question I asked you at the beginning, I'm going to ask you again. How do you respond when you're wrong? Is your response more like Saul, who makes excuses, justifies your actions, does everything he can to try and spin it? Or are you like David, who just says, God, I repent. I was wrong. I've sinned against you. Purify my heart and make me clean again. Let me tell you, if you can get the heart of David in this, this will be a game changer for your life. This will be a game changer for your marriage. If instead of, I'm sorry, but you blank, 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 blank. No, not bad words, but like you did this, 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 this. (laughs) (laughs) Keep the music going. This is a real spiritual moment. (laughs) 
instead of making excuses and saying, well, but if you stop doing that, then I wouldn't do this, right? If you own your own behavior, take responsibility, this will make a huge difference in your home. It'll make a difference with your kids. When you lose your temper with them, to be able to come back and go, you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. I apologize. I expect you to practice self-control, and I didn't, and I'm sorry. What would happen if this was a practice you started at your job? You know, many of you are thinking, how can I reach out to my coworkers and let them know I'm a person of faith? Well, what about if after a meeting you come back and you say, I'm sorry, I should not have said that in that meeting. I was wrong. Please forgive me. What if we had those kind of attitudes and those kind of spirits? What would God do with that kind of heart? We see that God is moved by that kind of spirit. And it's, I want to have a David spirit. I lean way more to being a Saul, but I am praying that God will help me. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, I thank you so much. First of all, that your blood does wash us clean. That when you touch us and you make us righteous, that God, it is a completed work. We don't have to earn your forgiveness. Jesus, when you wash us clean, we are clean. But Father, we also recognize that we have to come in repentance. We have to come and admit our guilt. We have to have a heart that is grieved by the sin in us. That says, Lord, I don't want to be that way. I recognize what is evil in me. I recognize what does not please your heart in me, and I'm asking you to wash me clean and have mercy on me and make me new. So Lord, I pray that today you would help each one of us to begin to ask this, ask this question in the moment, Lord, when we are wrong. I pray, God, I want my heart to be so quick to repent, so quick to confess, Lord, that you don't have to keep trying to convince me and convince me, but that your, uh, the still small voice of your spirit is able to just whisper to my heart, and I will apologize and ask for forgiveness. Lord, we want to be in right standing before you. So I pray that you would help all of us this week, Lord. Give us those moments when we hear your voice telling us to apologize, to take responsibility, to show humility, and then to accept forgiveness and move on. We love you. Thank you for being so merciful and gracious to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.